0: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes.
1: Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said? See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking.
0: Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May third. Rated PG-13. Car, pass the work quickly. Down to six seconds. Car going down again, and it's Quentin Williams this time for the Jets. Saved a touchdown, most likely. Looks right. Fires a bomb down the right sideline again for Mims. What a catch by Denzel Mims.
0: And welcome back to the Cooler Jets podcast. Rios, Ben Blessington, and Michael Nania. Day three of the NFL draft is in the books. Joe Douglas's second draft as GM of the New York Jets. Michael, we have talked about day one. We have talked about day two. Day three was a lot different. What are your thoughts on, on the Jets going heavy on the defensive side of the ball after taking Michael Carter with their first pick?
1: Well, it was definitely an interesting approach, I think. Uh, to I think what's interesting about it is the way they sort of just completely turned the approach on its head, you know, going offense with the first four picks and then all-out defense with the next six picks after that. But it made sense because they did get pretty aggressive with the pursuit of the offense early on, obviously trading two third-rounders that probably would have been used on defense to get Vera Tucker, then sort of a luxury pick with Elijah Moore, um, a pick that, you know, I think it's a great pick, but it's definitely not one of their biggest positions of need. Um, then going running back with Michael Carter. Um, so at that point, you're at the top of round four. You haven't addressed defense at all, and they do have a few holes on defense. So I think it did make sense to really go hard after defense at that point. And, and, and I don't think they necessarily went into the third day of the draft with that mentality that they're going to take all defensive players or at least mostly defensive players. A, a big part of that is probably just the way the board fell, but I do think they did have sort of an idea that they would lean towards that side because, you know, you have a defensive head coach coming in a new defensive coordinator. You do want to get them some of their guys. Um, and so it made sense to uh, go hard on that side of the ball uh, here on day three. So um, I do like some of these picks that they made Uh Overall, I think there's a theme here with guys who are sort of versatile, played a lot of different roles, are tweener size, especially with like safety linebacker hybrids between uh, Jamie and Sherwood. And uh, Naz- um, pronounce the name for me, pronounce his name for me, Nazaldin. Florida State Safety. Nazar Dean, I'm going to get it down. I, I'm already good at ty- typing it, but saying it, I'm going to have to get used to it. So Nazar Dean, Sherwood, those. Those two guys, both safety linebacker hybrids, um, sort of, you know, we talked about the Keon Neal signing and what that told my uh, told us about their draft approach, especially with the Wusu Koromoa. Uh, so they do get two guys who sort of fit that mold with these two. Michael Carter, the second um, played some safety, played some outside corner, but was at his best in the slot. I think that's where he'll stay. And especially with his size, that's where he fits best. Um, so I do like the, the approach in this third day of the draft. They knocked out the needs that they had, which were the will linebacker spot, um, slot cornerback and outside cornerback, but in sort of in unconventional ways with guys who aren't necessarily pure players at those positions, but uh, have the versatility and the frame to play different positions and probably project well to transitioning to those holes that the Jets have.
0: Yeah, I think they definitely took the, the best player uh, available or on their board, but clearly when you just look at it, um, uh, their philosophy as a whole. I think they probably did go through the draft with a certain lens of, look, we're going to take Zach Wilson early on and then we're going to focus on surrounding him with talent, which is obviously what they did. Got aggressive to trade up for Vera Tucker, got aggressive and take more, like you said, was more of a luxury pick, but clearly the best player available on their board was a Red Star player, according to, to Daniel Jeremiah from the sounds of the phone call it sounds like he would have been the pick of 23 if they didn't uh, trade up for Vera Tucker. So I love that. And then I love getting Michael Carter. You know, the way I look at those first four picks is the jets got three first rounders. And then you could say, uh, you could say Michael Carter had a second round grade for some people. I'll, I'll say a third rounder. So for the first four picks, I got three firsts and a third. Um, and I think they're all going to be productive year one. I have no doubt that all four of those guys barring major injuries we'll see the field immediately. I mean, all four of those guys might be starters year one. You don't know, we don't know what's going to happen with Jameson Crowder or the running back room whatnot. Um, but all four of those guys will get meaningful uh, reps from the get-go. And then after that, it's like, look, Rob Sala and this defensive coaching staff, you look at what they did last year in San Francisco with a lot of unproven players. They were hit with a lot of injuries and he still had them towards the top of the NFL. So I've been confident in and Rob his ability to get the best out of his unit, but I like the the strategy of getting the proven offensive talent at the start of the draft to surround your young quarterback and then after that go take the high ceiling athletes. Go to I mean if you look at every single athletic profile from the guys that drafted is it's pretty much off the charts, uh, you know, albeit a, a few ex- exceptions. Uh, specifically Jonathan Marshall and Jason Pinnock. I, you look at those two guys and their athletic profile is is insane. Um, so they clearly were like, let's go get some high ceiling athletes that Rob Sala can coach up uh, and have fun with. I think if you're going to look like if you're on ESPN um, and just looking at the, the picks that the jets had and you see safety, safety, corner, safety, corner, it's going to be, what the hell are they doing? I mean, the corners make sense. Cause the jets right now, the, the cornerback room is, is pretty rough, but going into the draft, it was like, well, look, I mean, we got Marcus may, we got Ashton Davis, we brought back or we, we excuse me, we signed uh, Marcus Joyner. So I didn't really feel like safety was a big need, but considering you know, at least two of those guys are going to play um, linebacker and the other guy is probably going to play slot corner. It makes a lot more sense. I love uh, the Nazareth Dean pick, definitely. I think P- when P.J. Clark came on uh, on just before the draft on Wednesday, he brought him up in his mock draft and said he was one of his favorite players in the draft. After looking into more, I can't blame him at all. It seems like he could have been a day one pick if he didn't get injured and tear his ACL. He should be ready um, for the start of the season. And, I, I, yeah, I just love that, you know, Rob saw his defense – relies on having athletic linebackers. I and mean, we were really worried about that 4-3 wheel spot. It seems like Blake Cashman was kind of going to be the answer there. Um so I like nozzle Dean and I like Sherwood coming in and filling that role. We'll see. I mean they might play more special teams early. Cashman may still be the starter, but at least they got some bodies in there. And that's the biggest thing is the Jets have drafted f- at times they've drafted some high ceiling athletes. I mean, very rarely have they taken those swings. It seems like they normally go for the small school productive guys that don't really do anything and flame out. But I like that they're taking the big swings, but I even, I like it even more because it it demonstrates a faith in the coaching staff. And it's a faith that I think is shared throughout most of the jets fan base that I think this is the one of the best on paper, at least one of the best jets coaching staffs they've had at least since um, the, the early Rex Ryan days, when you just look at the resumes of the guys that they brought in. And so I really like their their confidence and the ability, specifically on the defensive side of the ball with these day three picks, to get the most out of them and develop. I'm I'm quite confident that when you look at, I think the first four picks, I think they're all going to play. I think they'll all be um, long-term players for the Jets. I think I think at the very least, the Jets have gotten four guys that you can count on. But then when you look at Michael Carter II, Pinnock, Nasruddin, Eccles, and Marshall, they're probably not all going to hit. But I, I'm pretty confident that at least one or two of those guys is going to stick. And that's all you're looking for in a draft class. We said it a few days ago. If you can get three good players in a draft class, it's a good draft class. I mean, that is that is a better than any Jets draft class in recent memory outside of maybe last year. Um, four good players, that's a great draft class. But once you get into the, the – even if the day three guys you're taking are – maybe long-term special teamers or long-term depth, even if they just are good enough to hold a place on your, on your roster. And it's not a Mike McCagman roster that they're actually good enough to be in an NFL roster and they can make contributions. Even if Sherwood just turns into a stud special teamer for us, or Jonathan Marshall just provides depth on the defensive line. That's still a hit in in my eyes. So I like the, the projection that they took in, in the big swings they took in day three, high ceiling athletes that Rob Sala can play around with. Um, And the athletic profile of some of these guys is really encouraging. Clearly, the Jets are are relying on analytics. Um, They they are sticking with their high character, guys who love football. Um, I'm really encouraged by the second Joe Douglas draft. Um, Michael, I mean, I guess what was the biggest surprise to you day three? I mean, did you think that they were going to go and try go back to offensive line? Trey Smith was available for a long time. He fell due to blood clots in his lungs. Um, There are a few tight ends that were available. The Jets passed on him. After Michael Carter, Michael, are you surprised that Joe Douglas didn't go back to offense? Do you think this was a concerted effort to just get high-ceiling athletes on Rob Sala's defense? Or do you think it was just kind of how their board fell?
1: Well, I think it was a combination of those two things. I don't think they necessarily decided after Carter. It's like, let's only take defense. Let's ignore offense. Right. I definitely don't think any NFL front office. Well, maybe some bad ones. I don't know. We <laughs> had Raiders. Mike McKagan and John Idzik here. Maybe the Raiders. Uh, they've done some weird stuff. Maybe some teams are that bad, but especially not a competent front office like this one. I don't think they were as uh, black and white with it, where they're like, let's do all offense, all defense. But I, I do think they definitely lean towards it. Like, you know, it's sort of, uh, if it's close, we let's get some defensive help. We have some holes to fill. Let's help out our new defensive coaching staff. So I think they lean towards that side. But I guess I am a little surprised they didn't go with the second offensive line pick in this draft. But I do think the flip side of that is, um, that it's that is probably um, a positive thing about Cameron Clark's development because you did just draft Clark in the fourth round last year. He didn't get any snaps in the regular season. Obviously, there was no preseason either, so you didn't get to see him uh, on the field at all. But they watched him in practice, so you know, we can only speculate why he didn't play. Did they just commit to redshirting him no matter what, or was he really bad enough to where he couldn't beat out Josh Andrews and Pat Elfline to play at the end of the season? We don't know. But the fact that they didn't take an offensive lineman here on day three, even with, you know, some decent value prospects. And and also, you know, if they were confident enough in the day two prospects, or at least if they thought they needed to get multiple guys, then maybe they wouldn't have traded up for Vera Tucker and they would have felt good about staying there on day two and maybe even take taking one, maybe even two offensive line prospects. But they didn't. They traded up for Vera Tucker, and that other guard spot is still open right now. You have Greg Van Roten, who I think is – a decent stop gap, about as good as you can hope for that role. And then you have Cameron Clark there who, you know, you just drafted last year. So I think that they, the fact that they didn't draft an offensive lineman is a positive vote of confidence in Clark, who is the only other offensive lineman um, besides Vera Tucker and Becton that Douglas has drafted so far. So I think that is a positive for him. And then beyond that, I, I thought tight end would be on the table, but the fact that they didn't draft one doesn't necessarily shock me because they do have a lot of pieces there. Um, with Herndon, Griffin, Croft, and Wesco, who will probably be your fullback now if they employ that at all. Um, because Ben Mason seemed like was going to be their guy. Tony Pauline yeah. told us about him. He goes to Baltimore, which you know seems like a shoe in fit there. Two picks
0: ahead of the Jets too.
1: Yeah, two picks ahead of the Jets. So um, they didn't get him. Um, but the fact that they didn't pick a tight end doesn't necessarily surprise me. Um, Brevin Jordan was there. That would have been a good pick. But after that, there wasn't really much. So, um, the all-out defensive effort is um, definitely something that I think that they were going that they focused on doing today. And I really like some of the picks that they made just in terms of the overall philosophy, Um, because like you said, you're hoping that maybe one or two of these guys stick. They're not all going to be good. The majority of them aren't. If one of them is a starter for you, you won. That's how the draft works. The odds of hitting on these picks on day three are not good. So if you get one starter, a couple special teamers, that's a that's all you can ask for right there um so a lot of shots at the dartboard i really like that um and the thing is a lot of these guys can fill different roles you look at sherwood you look at uh, nazril dean they can both play either role they can play safety down the line if marcus may leaves when joiner leaves they can bulk up and play will linebacker if you want them to do that they can be a jack of all trades dime nickel type of player um michael carter the second can play sock corner he can um, play a little bit of safety for you if you need him to. All these guys are versatile. And also, in terms of the athleticism, like you said, um, day three is a great time to take a chance on those guys who might not have been productive or dominant. Um, like Pinnock is an example of this. He was not productive for Pittsburgh, gave up five touchdowns in each of the past three seasons. But his size and his length and his athleticism is ridiculous. So you take a chance on those things on day three of the draft and trust your coaching staff to develop those guys. Um, So it's a good time for that. And also the other point I was going to make about the athleticism is that it helps on special teams to have great athletes on special teams is a big plus on your coverage units and your blocking units. Um, So that also increases the odds of these guys sticking and making an impact uh, in that role, because the jets do need a lot of help on special teams as well. Um, It was something that they were not good at last year in terms of punt coverage. So they can help in that area also. So Very big fan of the overall philosophy of these picks. Most of these prospects, I'll be honest, a few of these guys aren't even on a lot of the boards that you look at on the internet draft network, PFF, like they're not even on there. Michael Carter, the second Pinnock and Eccles, I believe are the three who are pretty much not on a lot of boards across the internet. Um, So I do like the boldness there. The fact that, that, you know, they're confident in these guys to the point uh, to where they're, they're taking their guys. Even if they're not the biggest name prospects, I do like that aspect of it. Um, but, you know, I think it's, they, de- I like the overall approach in terms of, you know, athletic tools and versatility.
0: Yeah. I think I, you know, I've seen some criticism for uh, Joe Douglas's day three of the draft. And my general philosophy is, I don't criticize day three because one, I'm not going to pretend like I know the vast majority of these players. Obviously there are guys that I've seen a lot in those simulators, like you've said, or I've read about, or I've I've found a few guys. I'm like, Oh, I want the jets to get this guy on day three, but I'm, the jets have scouts that year round, this is their job. Uh, And day three is kind of the scouts day. This is the day where, you know, so the regional scouts stand on the table and say, I've seen this guy. I've watched every single one of his plays. This guy's a baller. Um, And I have a lot of faith in Joe Douglas and his scouting department. Um, and so, yeah, and I touched on this a lot yesterday, but it's like a lot of fans view the draft as a shopping list and that's not the case, you know, free agency, that's when you can go out and fill needs, but the draft is where you're just trying to take the guys that you're the most confident in. You don't want to take a single guy just because you have a hole at guard and okay, there's a guard there. He's the best guard available. Let's take him. Don't do that. If there's a guy 20 spots ahead of him, that's a, a, a tight end or something. And you have, you know, at least some room in the tight end, uh, room, then you take him. You know, uh, we talked about this, the difference between short-term and long-term needs right now was receiver a short-term need for the jets. No, but is it a long-term need? Yes. I think you are going to need to continue to beef up that room. And then also in the short-term more brings you depth. He brings you versatility, he brings you explosiveness. And then in the long-term, he's probably the starter that's going to, he will be the starter that will place uh Jamison Crowder. Um, so yeah, I think a lot of fans look at this and it's like, why didn't they take an edge or why didn't they take another offensive lineman or et cetera. Day three of the draft is when Joe Douglas and his scouts are going to take the guys that they, they have the faith in. That they, these are the best guys on their board, the guys that they think actually can be contributors. And like you said, they're just lottery tickets. I mean, they're shots on goal. Uh, most of these guys on day three are not going to make the roster. I mean, they'll make the roster this year, but presumably. But down the line, there's going to be a few of these guys in this draft class that won't do anything. I mean, that, just statistically, those are the chances. But when you look at the the hit rate, or at least the level of player that the Jets got with their first four picks, I mean, that's what you have to be ecstatic about. The, with the, the, the players that the Jets got with their first four picks, uh, they're going to contribute immediately in offense. And then after that, those are just guys that high ceiling athletes, and we'll see what Salah can do with them. Um, I think out of all of them, the one that I'm most confident is going to hit is Dean because I think he had a chance to be a day one player if he didn't get hurt. And you look at his tape; he, I mean, he's really freaking good. And he, by you know by his account, um, I think he probably fell a little bit because of the medicals. He says he's he's all good and that he'll be ready um, for week one. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I can't, I can't hate on, on this draft and I can't hate on day three. Yes. Would I have liked them to see, you know, take a, a tight end or, a, um, an edge or something like that maybe, but I'm going to, I'll defer to Joe Douglas and his scouting department. These are the guys that they had at the top of their board. Um, and some of them, like you said, I think some people might be discouraged because they're going to say, well, I've never heard of this guy. I kind of like that when they take a guy that you've never heard of, it kind of means that, oh, they really believe in this guy, especially if it's like, oh, this is a reach, I mean, obviously everybody wants to get good value, but sometimes the the players that are reaches are the players that the the organization believes in the most. That's the reason they're taking them so early. They're not dumb. They know that it's probably going to be perceived as as a reach, but it means that they really like those guys, especially if it's not at a position of need. If they're reaching because they have a need somewhere and they're taking somebody, then you can criticize that. But if they're reaching for a guy that or quote unquote reaching for a guy you've never heard of, but it's a, at a position that they drafted two other times today. That's, you know, okay, the organization believes in that. And Joe Douglas has given me no signs not to believe in him so far. He's, he's pretty much aced every check um, or every test, excuse me. Um, that's been put in front of him. Uh, albeit a few bonehead moves, maybe. Um,
1: right. And I, I think the biggest thing in terms of like needs and how you value them is it, it's just a part of it because, and we've said this a bunch of times, I think, talking over the past few weeks is you know if you have two players who you have graded very closely and one of them is at a position where you have no starter and one of them like for the jets for example say you have um an outside cornerback and a defensive tackle with the same grade obviously you probably take the cornerback right now because you're a lot weaker there but it's just a small aspect of it because this is a sport things change really quickly injuries happen um players decline they improve you know stuff happens really quickly so you never know right what your needs are going to be in two weeks from now or a year from now. So you just take the best talent. Need is a part of the equation, but it's not like you just go in with the shopping list. Like, all right, we have starters here, here, and here. We can ignore those positions. Let's only attack the positions where we don't have starters. It doesn't necessarily, it's not the smartest way to go about it because you're going to sacrifice talent in exchange for short-term needs, even though that's really just... You know, sort of a mirage because what's a need right now might not be a need anymore in a few weeks. And, you know, the things that positions where you're strong might not be strong soon, positions where you're not strong, you could have guys develop. You never know what's going to happen. So you just got to take the guys you believe in the most uh, and let the roster build itself around that. Exactly.
0: Exactly. You, yeah, you want to just establish a a pipeline of talent. You look at all the best teams that are really deep. And when, um, a guy goes down, there's always some fifth round rookie that comes in. And those are generally the, where you find those day three studs. It's like, don't draft for need. I think the best example of, of blending what kind of what you're talking about, best player available in need is the Vera Tucker pick, because obviously the Jets had a massive need at interior offensive line. Obviously Joe Douglas wanted to surround Zach Wilson with talent, but he's not just trading up because Vera Tucker's a guard. He's trading up because yes, he's a guard and he fills those needs or whatever. But he really believes in him. I think Joe Douglas, like he said, he's a top ten player on his board. Joe Douglas views Elijah Vera Tucker, excuse me, Elijah Vera Tucker as a blue chip prospect. That's why he's trading up and probably overpaying with two thirds to go get him. It's because he believes in him. But also, yeah, he fits. He fills a need. When you get a guy that you really believe in and then fills a need, that's when the, the trade up kind of makes sense. So obviously, factors in. Obviously, the factors of you know we want to help our young quarterback. We want to give our, our defensive head coach some, some tools to play with. Those things factor in, but talent and your board comes first. Um, and I think I, I love the philosophy that Joe Douglas employed. I think that he did a really good job because Michael Cagney would always say we're going to take the best player available. And that's fine. But when you're taking, you know, three defensive tackles and a tight end and linebacker and like non-premium positions, especially when you draft a rookie quarterback, that's where it becomes problematic. So I like that Joe Douglas drafted the best player available, but through the lens of let's go help our rookie quarterback. um, I I think that's really smart. I think that he balances it well. Right. Exactly. It's all a balance. I, I don't think that he... Um, I think Elijah Moore probably was the best player on their board and he went and helped your rookie quarterback. I think if it was close, he generally leaned offense. Um, but the, the deeper it got in the draft, it's like, you know, we might need another offense or some fans might want another offensive lineman, or we could maybe use another tight end, but we're not going to pass on Hamza Naziruddin because he's actually a guy that we're confident can do something and we're going to get him in the sixth round. Um, so I really like his philosophy. Uh, let's just really quickly go pick by pick. Um, Michael Carter, the running back, cause obviously there's two of them, um, I think obviously the best pick of the day for me. Um, I really, really like this pick. This is a guy that was mocked the Jets a lot. Really good scheme fit. Again, fits the mold of the high character guy. I like that Um, uh, he split carries in, in college with Javante Williams. So there's, uh, you know, I always mess up. Is it, there's a lot of tread in his tires or there's not any tread on his tires? Because well, tread is, tread's the stuff tread on Tread means the tire. that it's worn out or no, no tread. If
1: there is tread on the tread, tire, no, yeah. that means that it's, Not been used, so there is a lot of tread on his
0: tires. No, but is tread the okay? He hasn't been used, he's fresh legs. Somebody can tweet us with the correct is it if you have a lot of tread in your tires, have you been running to the ground or are you fresh? But the point is, is I like that Michael Carter's coming to the NFL with fresh legs because he wasn't running to the ground in college. I was kind of concerned of mine with Travis Etienne is that I mean, the man had like 200 carries in in college. I mean, uh, Carter's coming in with um with very fresh legs and he's a great scheme fit seems like a high character guy this was a guy that the jets were really interested in he was a guy that the jets met with multiple times it was reported joe douglas generally keeps things tight-lipped but michael carter is one of those that kept slipping out that the jets liked him um and then you could tell by their 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 phone call that they clearly were hoping that he was going to fall through the third um just to get him so uh, that's a big move for the jets i think he's their their starter week one um or at the very least he's going to get a lot of reps because i think that the big concern with carter is Can he be the bell cow? Can he be the leader of the group and and get 20 carries a game? Um, But my retort to that would be, I don't think that's the Jets plan with any of the running backs. I think the Jets plan and Michael floor's plan is to run a running back by committee approach, which we know Michael Carter can do. He's made all the same reads that he made in college is the same blocking reads that he's going to make in the NFL. Um, And you're not really worried about him. He doesn't have to come in and be the bell cow. If he develops into that, that's great, but he's going to come in immediately and be able to fulfill the same role that he filled in college. Um, and the Jets still have other backs that they can throw out there as well. Um, so I really, really like this pick. Michael, what was your reaction to Michael Carter? Was there anybody else you wanted more on the board? Um, and then once the pick was announced, uh, what did you think?
1: Yeah, I had a really positive reaction to this pick. I, I record my reactions to every pick. This was my most positive one um, outside of the Vera Tucker pick. So I did like this one. Um, you pretty much said it. Good scheme fit. And has, I think, you guys can correct us for wrong, but I think the correct terminology is he does have a lot of tread on his tires because the tread is on the tires. That's what that's allows what it to grip thought. the road. That's what I've always thought. But then people have said, right. People I think always, say it the wrong way. Yeah. But you know, if there is tread in the tires, it means that it's not worn out. Oh, so a, I think that's the, the correct tread. terminology. Um, being in that timeshare with Javante Williams has, um, you know, he comes in I'm with sure. a pretty light amount, a, a pretty light amount of work. So that's a good thing. I think as he comes into a committee backfield too, he's ready to play that role. Um, that's what the Jets are going to be doing. And he's already experienced making the most out of that. Um, Extremely efficient, really good after contact numbers and broken tackle numbers, very good in pass protection. Um, His pressure rate allowed his pass blocker is about half of what the NFL averages for a running back. Um, In the passing game too, um, he's not really a versatile guy in terms of making catches down the field, but good hands, doesn't drop the ball, makes a lot of plays after the catch on dump-offs. So he's good in that phase also. So I like a lot about the Michael Carter pick. Um. Oh, and before we talk about the rest of these picks, I want to talk about the two trades that they made on day three. Yeah. Um. I think those are worth talking about. So first, that uh, they traded down from 143, 19 spots to uh, with the Raiders to pick up the 200th overall pick. Um. That trade I liked because I think whenever you could add extra picks on day three, I think that's an obvious plus because at the end of the day. Does 19 spots on the third day of the draft mean all that much? Like if you look historically, between what the 143rd overall picks or just all the picks in that range do compared to the 162nd pick, it's just I don't it's not that big of a difference. It's day three at this point. Everywhere's a crapshoot. So if you could just add more darts to throw at the dartboard, I think that's a plus. Um, but then the trade they made with the Chiefs, that one was a little bit weird to me. Um, because they didn't add another pick, so they moved down. Um, so essentially, the Jets trade 162 and 226 to so the Chiefs for 175 and 207. So essentially, they moved down 13 spots. Uh, in. I believe that was the fifth round at that point in exchange for moving up 19 spots in the sixth round. So, I mean, to me, that doesn't mean all too much. Um, that was that was an interesting trade. What do you what do you think of, of both uh, the first trade they made with the Raiders and then this swap with the Chiefs?
0: Well, clearly it was that they didn't really like – they weren't in love with anybody at the spot they were picking at, and then they wanted more swings on the guys in the sixth round because they clearly felt that there was um, some talent to be had there. So I don't hate it. I think, yeah, from a pure value standpoint, it wasn't wasn't like they won the trade. Um, But without seeing their board, it's hard for me to say, but I'm going to just imagine the reason you make that trade is it's like, Look, there's not anybody really that we're we're needing to pick here. Let's trade down and and recuperate some six. I would imagine that I, I think one of them was to get Ben Mason. Just I mean, that's just I me, mean, my my guess. Just there was a lot of smoke there, and generally when there's smoke, there's fire. Not all the time in draft season, but um, and it would make sense. It's like you know we like Hamza and Azaldine. Um, we like Ben Mason, we like Jonathan Marshall, we like these guys. Let's go pick up an extra six because we don't really care about um, the the level and difference in talent. So I don't hate it. I think the first one was definitely better from a value
1: perspective. Yeah say the jets come on the clock at 162, and there are no standout players on their board. And they see it as there are 15 or so players who they all have pretty similarly, and they would feel very comfortable with picking any of them. So I guess you trade back 13 spots and you feel like there'd be no difference in the type of player you'd be picking 13 spots lower. And then later in the draft, you can move up 19 spots. I I guess it makes sense from that perspective. So thinking about it more, I, I love any trade where you can trade back and add an extra pick. Um, but in terms of these, uh, this, when they make these swaps where it's like moved down now so you can move up more later um, in a vacuum, it doesn't look great. But I guess when you're looking at your board, um, it could make a lot of sense depending on uh, how you have how you have the players stacked up. And again, that this all comes down to how good you are at drafting. That's the most important thing in all of this, because if you're a bad drafting team and your board is just completely out of whack in terms of how the players are actually going to turn out. Then you're going to lose a lot of trades and you're going to waste a lot of picks. But if you are a good drafting team and you can and you do have good foresight in terms of how things are going to play out, then you're going to win trades like this. You're going to move down with the Chiefs and you're going to move up later and you are still going to get value out of 175. And moving up later is going to help you because your board is accurate. So the board, I think, is a big part of all of these trades. And it's not something that any of us know about because it's different for every single team. And obviously we have no clue what any team's board looks like.
0: Yeah, no, I think I I agree with everything you said there. I like that Douglas is really aggressive when it comes to trading up and trading down, I think, because that was kind of the theme heading into this offseason that you and I kept bringing up is who is Joe Douglas? We don't really know him because the only we have him for essentially just one offseason, and there were a lot of excuses of, look, the COVID-19 pandemic is happening, so they're not spending as much. He's trying to be conservative. He's not trying to build around Adam Gase. He's trying to tear it all down. They just traded away Jamal Adams. Like, there was a lot of question marks. And so this was the first time it's like, okay, let's see. Last year, you can dismiss as, okay, he's, t- he's taking the wrecking balls of the entire roster and bringing the Jets down to the studs. But then it's like, okay, the Jets are the studs, so let's see you build it up. Now we get to learn who Joe Douglas is. And from the day they've hired Robert Sala, I don't think he's made a single move that I haven't at least come around on. Uh, I've really just loved his entire offseason. I mean, it starts with Sala. That's obviously the biggest acquisition because now I'm confident in the Jets coaching staff and their ability to, to cultivate a great culture. Like he's talked about having the best culture in sports. It actually feels doable with Robert Sala. He's talked about developing young talent. It actually feels doable with Robert Sala. So that's the biggest thing. Um, I'm, I'm getting off on a tangent here, but essentially I, I love the GM that we're learning Joe Douglas is he's a lot more aggressive than I thought he was because Sitting here Saturday evening recording this podcast. Joe Douglas is a lot. My perception of who Joe Douglas is as a GM is a lot different than it was, you know, five days ago. And my perception of Joe Douglas as a GM is a lot different than it was in January and even before he hired Robert Sala. The fact that he got Sala was a big plus in my eyes. His free agency, the fact that he was aggressive and getting Carl Lawson and getting a legit edge rusher that the Jets haven't had in 10 plus years, 15 plus years. The fact that he got Corey Davis, which I felt was the best fit um, for the Jets free agent wise on the receiver. Um, and I also just liked a lot of his other signings, but then going to the draft, it's like, who is he going to be? And we learned he's a hell of a lot more aggressive. You know, the, not only the types of players that he's taking the high ceiling. I like that. He's not taking guys too many guys from D two or D three schools that are 25 years old, like Michael Cagnon he's taking young high upside um, athletic um, guys who who play tough competition and who are all, leaders and love football i just kind of love the mo of the joe douglas draft player and i just love how aggressive he is like you're talking about moving up and down the board you know he has a great understanding of how the board is going to shake up and we knew that last year when he traded down and still landed denzel mims that he liked he said look i'm going to trade down here only if certain number of receivers are going to go so i'm still going to get a good one because i valued them all you know fairly equally um so he still traded down and got Denzel Mims last year this year it was look elijah elijah ver is not going to fall to us I see him as a blue chip player. I know I got to protect Zach Wilson. I have a ton of draft capital. Let me go up and get him. I love that move. And the, the trade downs for me, I, I, you know, it's hard to comment because they're day three. I don't know the board, but in a vacuum, I like the idea of trading down on day three to, to accumulate more picks. Um, I don't know if you touched on Michael Carter that much, but, I guess I'll, I'll, I'll push forward with Jamie and Sherwood and you can touch on Carter if you want. Um, yeah, I did talk about him. I okay. Did. Okay. I just want to make Yeah. Jamie and Sherwood though, you know, there's two Michael Carters here, so I, I have to keep track of them. Um, but Sherwood though, safety from Auburn, but likely, I mean, the Jets announced him as a linebacker, the same with Nasruddin. So they, they announced both as a linebacker. So we're going to call him Will Linebacker, which we knew was a big need for the Jets. They really needed those pass coverage linebackers. We were – forecasting Blake Cashman in that role who hasn't played four, three outside linebacker in the pros and has constantly hurt and his coverage ability and his, 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 rookie year was suspect to begin with. His athletic profile lends you to believe that he would be a good coverage linebacker. We haven't seen it. So that was a big projection. So we knew that was a need. Uh, and then the fact that they were really in on it at the end on uh, Keanu Neal, you kind of knew that they liked the idea of having a, a strong box safety that can play linebacker and, um, So I I like the Sherwood move a lot. I think he was probably the pick that got the most criticism out of all of them. Um, But Michael, from what you know about Sherwood, uh, what do you think about him?
1: Yeah, I do. I think he does fit exactly what they're looking for here. And Robert Sala even talked about it in the press conference uh, at the end of day three, um, talking about the linebackers and what they're looking for them. And he pretty much laid out the description that we've all sort of assumed um, and he talked about it, that he doesn't want three, four linebackers who are going to be thumping, going downhill, taking on the guards. He's not looking for that. He said he wants them to play faster, get outside, be more athletic. And that's what they're looking for here. They're looking for – that's why they want Keanu Neal. That's why I thought Usu Koromoa made a lot of sense. Um, obviously, these guys are going to be really small at that position, and they're not prototype linebackers, but that's what they're looking for in this role. They want Throw guys – Right. He is definitely a, a big guy, but you know, just because like you have C.J. Mosley, Jamin Davis, uh, or Gerard Davis, who are um, you know, up around 240, 250, more typical linebacker size. Um, but you know, Sherwood at 6'2", 220, pretty big for a DB, but you put him at linebacker, obviously a little bit small there. Um, but that's still enough to play it, and right. he did play it a lot at Auburn, played it pretty well. His coverage was really good throughout his career. He only gave up one touchdown throughout his three seasons at Auburn, so – did a nice job in coverage there, and he's able to play different roles. He was, I mean, his the versatility of the roles that he played was ridiculous. He was playing everything pretty frequently. Inside linebacker was his most common position, and he played it 29% of the time. So he was lining up everywhere free safety, outside linebacker on the edge, um, strong safety. He is all over the field, so I think he definitely projects well to this role. He has experienced doing a lot of different things uh, and should be able to step in. And, you know, the Jets are so weak at this position that he can step in and start right away. Usually you don't look at a 146 overall pick as an instant starter, um, but his only competition is Blake Cashman. And the first step for and, Cashman and, being, and and of course Dean later in the draft who might also compete for this, but their only competition is Blake Cashman, who a can't stay healthy. B has yet to play well consistently in the NFL, um, and C isn't necessarily. He does project well th- to the scheme, but C he hasn't played it yet in the NFL. Um, so not a lot of competition. So I and think- also
0: and also there's question marks about CJ Mosley, and if Mosley goes down or whatever, who's going to slide into middle linebacker? It makes more sense that I guess Blake Cash or I guess one of these guys. Like there was a big need not only at Will but just the depth at the linebacker. Right,
1: moves. just the depth overall because you have Mosley Davis. Davis. Mosley and Davis and then that's pretty much it so uh, it was a huge need and to have two guys who fit what they're looking to do athleticism versatility coverage ability um, and and we'll get to Dean more specifically but Sherwood I think checks a lot of boxes and there were other players we were looking at earlier you know who are more prototype linebackers like Jabriel Cox who obviously slipped because of an injury Jamin Davis in the first round um, a Cormo, Cormo is a guy who's uh, played more linebacker, you know, has been listed as that throughout the process. Um, but this is what they're looking for. This is the type of player that they needed for this role. So I do like the Sherwood
0: pick quite a bit. Yeah. I think he projects really well as a linebacker in this defense. And the other thing to remember is that the jets don't really have a natural, strong safety on the roster. So although these guys are right, going to play right. linebacker, you think about it. A lot of people are projecting Ashton Davis into that role. Which I think is fine, but na- he's naturally a free safety. I mean, I think in the, the solid defense, they're going to do a little bit of both, so it'll be fine. But and Davis looked competent at strong safety, probably more so than free safety as a rookie. Right. That, but that's what my that's what my take would be. I think he's better in the box. But that's based. On, but you have to remember, I think free safety is probably a little bit harder for a rookie to play right. because there's a lot more 100%. happening
1: mentally, especially strong when saf- your first game's against the Chiefs.
0: Exactly. Strong safety as a rookie, it's a little bit more cut and dry of get in the box and hit somebody. Um, but I think uh, athletic his athletic profile lends you to believe that he'd be more of a free safety. But I think him and May are gonna mix it up. But May again, great center fielder, great f- free safety, and it sounds like the Jets still want to sign him long term. Um, and even Joiner, who they brought in, was a nickel back, a free safety, strong safety. So they don't they don't really have. A natural strong safety on the roster so i like the versatility we'll just stick with sherwood for now but i like the versatility of these guys are going to come in as linebackers but they can also play some strong safety and i think that his biggest weakness was that top end speed the fact you know you don't want to have him covering um at least as a safety covering a receiver 35 yards down the field i think on those hook zones and those stuff over the middle you know, within the line, 10 yards of the line of scrimmage, I think that's what you're going to see him really shine. He's a big physical, um, solid type of linebacker. So although it didn't get a lot of the, the praise again, uh, this is the most faith I've had in the Jets scouting and coaching, uh, you know, combo probably ever. I'll give him time to prove me wrong. And then I could start questioning things more. But at this point, I think they nailed the first four picks of the draft that I like the Sherwood pick. You know, I, I think, I, I think it was obviously a big need and they clearly like him a lot. They, like him more than Dean because they took him ahead of him when it seems like they were probably similarly graded it seems like they just took Dean because it was like well he's the best player on the board and he fell and we really like him as well so let's just get him now um but clearly these two players were interviewed for the same position and they chose Sherwood so as far as who's going to start it seems like they project him a little bit better but I like that they have Dean as well a lot of toys for Robert Sala one of them goes down. You have that option. Um, just overall, I, I like the strategy. I, I can get behind it. After that, they took Michael Carter the second, which is hilarious from Duke. What are the odds? Um, who is listed as a safety, but again, a common theme throughout all Joe Douglas picks: versatility. I mean, you can go from Elijah Vera Tucker to Elijah Moore, um, and through these these defensive guys, it's versatility. Can they play multiple positions? And so, I think Michael Carter the second, you're getting a guy who can do a lot of different things, who can be that nickel corner, who can be um, that free safety. I think he's probably the nickel for the Jets. I'm curious to see if they do go out. and. I think they will go out and sign a, a veteran like Steven Nelson or Richard Sherman. But I think that his drafting kind of singles the end of, of Brian Poole. We'll see. We'll see if Sala wants a veteran in there, but with all these day three, I mean, they're day three picks. so You can't count on them too much, but with all these young bloods coming into the the secondary I kind of think that it might be the end of Brian pool and that Michael Carter and, and Javelin Guidry might be battling out for that slot corner spot. Michael, what do you think? Do you think they have that much faith in him or do you think they'd be wise to bring back pool and let these guys develop a little bit more? I, I
1: do think they should probably still explore it because, you know, as confident as you are in yourself to develop talent, I think the rational thing to do is just understand that, you know, no matter how good you think you are, the odds just aren't good for players at this point in the draft, you know, you're talking about Gidry was an undrafted free agent last year. Uh, now Carter, II is the is a fifth round pick. So I do believe in the staff and, you know, obviously, you know, from their perspective, they are more as any person should, you should believe in yourself, regardless of what the numbers or the odds are or history says or anything. But I think the smart thing to do is just get as much talent as you can get Brian pool back. Uh, get Brian pool back in the building. If you can just get some security, he can start. These guys are on the rookie deals. They'll be here for a few years, get pool back on another one year deal a guy who you know can play at a high level, and have them you know, provide depth and learn behind them and maybe take over in the future if they show you in practice that they're capable of it. So I think that's the measured way to go about it. But in terms of Carter II, um, slot corner, smaller guy, um, it does not have a ton of size. He played outside a decent amount in college, also dipped in at free safety, played in the box a little bit, but great speed. Um, I, I believe he had a 436 in the 40 so definitely has the the speed and quickness to his game but his slot coverage was really good he gave up under four yards per target in slot coverage last season which is fantastic that's like half of the average so um good track record of production in the slot and i definitely be although i would like Pool back even if pool does come back uh the competition between him and gidry seeing where those two guys um sort of ha- seeing those two guys battled out what they can do uh, will be fun to watch. And that's another thing. We're going to have preseason games this year. Uh, yeah, at least I think we are. So we didn't get that last year. It's, it'll, it'll, it'll be, be the, fun to watch these battles.
0: It'll be the debut of Zach Wilson and James Morgan. We have will finally see yeah. James Morgan actually throw a football Um, and see if he actually can do it. How crazy would that be if, if James Morgan was just a, a legend, just a god out of the bat? I mean, because to would me... Be hilarious. <laughs> And then Joe Douglas, because that's the pick I think that Joe Douglas gets the most criticism for. It would be like the uh, Russell Wilson, Matt. F- I
1: mean, different, but like sort of how when Russell Wilson took over for Matt Flynn, like, oh, hold on a second. You know, we I, signed I this almost, free agent. This guy, I,
0: this kid's pretty good. If that's the case, you better hope Zach Wilson also plays well. We don't need a quarterback controversy right out the gate. Um, but, yeah, I, I'm excited to, to at least Let's just Let's not see... think about this. Get that out of my head. All right, all right, all right. <laughs> Get that out of your head. I still I think they'll bring in a backup veteran either I way.
1: I mean, hey, who cares? If you have a good quarterback, you have a good quarterback.
0: It's that's James true. Morgan, Zach Wilson, if he's that's good. That's true. Who cares? But yeah, the preseason games this year are going to be huge. Even guys like Zuniga or Cam Clark, just guys we didn't really get to see much of we're going to see um, in August, which is exciting um, just to watch them develop. But yeah, uh, Michael Carter II ran a 4-3. I I, I like his projection as Nickel. And again, a a versatile player. The next pick was really interesting. And I'm, I'm behind this one. Jason Pinnock, who didn't have the production like you were talking about, is a pick corner, which has generally historically been pretty good to the New York jets, but his athletic profile is insane. Can you just talk about that a little bit and how he projects to a Robert solid defense?
1: Yeah, I definitely think this is one of those picks where it's like, you no, know, we're, we're betting on the tools. We're not trying to get superstars at this point in the draft, especially if you're looking at power five guys at this point, because you know, you might the small school guys that get picked here. were probably dominant. Uh, they would have to be to stand out enough to get drafted if they're playing a smaller conference. But if you're taking someone from, you know, the ACC, one of the power five conferences at this point in the draft, and they weren't able to dominate enough to get picked in the early part of the draft, then you're probably betting on, you know, the pedigree, the physical tools and hoping that they can improve at the next level. Because obviously, obviously you have to get better because if you weren't playing well in college, if you're just an average college player, or just a you know good, solid college player, then it's going to be hard to be good in the NFL. So you have to actually improve and get better. And, you know, that's the teams having confidence in themselves that they can do that. And you want to do that with players who have the physical tools to where if you can get them to where they need to be technically, um, mentally, fundamentally, um, in terms of just all of those small smaller aspects of the game, then they have the tools to where, okay, we fix those things. Now they are physically ready to play in the league. So um, this is that pick for sure. Um, Six foot and half an inch, 204 pounds, great length, 32 and three eighth inch arms. That's 82nd percentile Um, speed at that size was pretty good with the 449. Um, So a lot to work with here physically in terms of size and length uh, and athleticism. Also, his 10 yard split was 98th percentile. Um, So we had pretty good agility numbers. Um, JC Horn is actually one of his top comparables, a uh, mock draftable, uh, and also if female from Syracuse and James Bradbury. So he has some good comparisons physically. He has that makeup. The production wasn't there. Um, and on your coaching staff to, uh, make the most of it. And Tony, o- uh, Tony Oden, their, uh, cornerbacks coach is one of my favorite assistants on the staff. He has a really good track record
0: of developing talent. So i um, interested to see what they do. Yeah, and I think San Francisco last year is a great example. They had a bunch of nobodies playing corner for them last year, and that's really what gives me hope about Robert Sala getting the best out of his unit and developing guys because it's easy to coach, you know, Nick Bosa. Um, but when you have to coach a, a third-string defensive lineman or a bunch of no-name corners and you're still getting a top-10 unit out of them, that's, you know, that, that's coaching right there. Um, so I like that they gave him a lot of, uh, of different weapons to coach up, and Odin, like you mentioned, is, is a superstar on this Jet staff. Um, if you go to @mathbomb on Twitter, I think he had a lot of really good, he's tweeting out the relative athletic scores of all these, of of these picks. And he kept getting retweeted in our timeline. Cause the jets kept taking some of the, the superstars, um, from this. Um, but Pinnock's relative athletic score was from all the corners taken from 1987 to 2021. And that's nearly 1800 corners. He's ranked 41, uh, in his athletic score. Um, so clearly a, a Supreme athlete, a six-three, two-fifteen 15 corner. I mean, that's, that's a Rob Sala um, corner right there. He likes those big physical zone corners who can press, get down to the line of scrimmage um, and, and play, uh, or excuse me, six feet, 200. I was looking at Homs and team, but still it's point still stands. He's a big corner who can play that zone coverage. who can press the line of scrimmage. who can get after it in the run game. He's going to be a development. Definitely. No doubt about that. He's, he's going to not going to come on immediately, but, um, but
1: yeah, yeah, look, given like this is the type of guy who it's like you don't expect him to do anything, but if he does, the potential is high.
0: Yeah, this was a high ceiling, low floor pick. He's a guy who may never play a single down for the Jets. And he also is a guy who may end up being, you may end up starting by the end of the year. We just don't really know. Um, I could see him being a Cam Clark redshirt, but just given the, the, the dearth of talent that the Jets have in the cornerback room, and given what Robert Sala was able to get out of his corners last year. I have a feeling this guy's going to be playing next year. And um, just based off his athletic profile, I, I like it. You know, I think he, it, specifically in the run support, I think that's what's going to lend him to get on the field early is that he's he is kind of built in that Robert Sala mold. And I think it's a defense that's easy on corners because it's built on zone principles. Um, they don't have to do too much. And also if you have a, a sufficient pass rush, which I think the Jets will have next year with Carl Lawson and Quentin Williams and Sheldon Rankins, Sean Franklin Myers, et cetera. Um, I think it'll be a little bit easier on the corners than it has been in years past uh, when they're playing the, those Rex Ryan send eight and just man up coverage. Um, oh, by
1: the way, the fact that you had to mention, etc. to mention the Jets, to talk about the Jets pass rush and how many good pass rushers they have, that warms my heart. That feels yeah. really good. Things are I mean, different.
0: I, I, cetera, I guess represents Jabari Zuniga, Bryce Huff and Foley Fadakasi, but yes. Vinny uh, Curry, he,
1: you also didn't mention. Vinny Curry,
0: I, I cannot remember Vinny Curry's on the Jets. <laughs> I literally, I'm sorry, Vinny. But he just goes under – I never remember that Vinny's on the team. This happened to me l- literally five hours ago. I forgot Vinny was on the team, and somebody reminded me. So I apologize, Vinny. Um, but, yeah, I think that was part of that signing, one veteran locker room presence, but also gives you the flexibility to not have to draft an edge. Um, but I think I think what we learned about the edge position is that John Franklin Myers is, is going to start at that five-tech position, which, I, which he did his rookie year. He's built like a, a Robert Sala defensive end. Um, but you clearly like the production he had inside. I think he's still going to get to play three tech. I think on third downs, you're going to see him put inside, but with the Sheldon Rankin signing and the fact that they signed, they drafted no edge prospects um, and they only brought in Vinny Curry. I think you're going to see a lot of JFM uh, at five tech, which and I think exciting. that's also
1: good uh, for Huff and Zuniga definitely means they'll yeah. have and Kyle Phillips that they'll have their chance Kyle to Phillips compete.
0: Too, yeah. I forgot about Kyle Phillips, him and him and Vinny. Yeah. But I, I think you're right. I think uh, not taking another guard, is a good sign in, in Cam Clark's development, the fact that they didn't feel the need to. That was the other thing with Trey Smith, is he's just kind of a similar player to Cam Clark. And then at a certain point, it was like, draft Trey Smith in the six. It's like, well, then wouldn't his pedigree be lower than Cam Clark's? It seems like he would be above him in the depth chart. They're both not ideal scheme fits for his own blocking system. But I think he likes Cam Clark a lot. I think he's um, he's excited to see him in training camp. But Hamza Nasruddin, probably the best pick of, uh, of day three value-wise. You can make an argument to Michael Carter, but uh, getting him in the sixth round when a lot of people had him mocked in the the third or the fourth, I think PJ had him in the fourth. I think he had him with the first pick of the fourth, Um, but really like, I mean, very similar player um, to Jamie and Sherwood, but again, a really good, a really talented player, great value. And the fact that you have both of them means you can really capitalize on their versatility you're not gonna have to peg one into one role you can allow them to do different things you can take them off the field i also like you mentioned really good point the fact that they're drafting these plus athletes is going to mean a lot for their special teams i think you're going to see nazis get out there on the special teams unit um and and really help brent boyer's unit out that slipped a little bit last year michael what are your thoughts on nazis obviously we talked about sherwood a lot but does he bring anything else to you i you tweeted about him earlier today Part, mostly because of PJ I mentioned him on the podcast. We got to give props where it's due, yep. but you did mention him. And then you figured once they took Sherwood, they weren't going to go back to him, but clearly he was the best player on their board uh, when the six round rolled around.
1: Yeah, coming into into today, I think he was the best representation of, you know, what Sherwood is and what he is of that player that they're looking for with that, you know, safety linebacker hybrid sort of player. And, you know, so I did think he was someone who could be in the mix after taking Sherwood. I was surprised to see his name come up as the pick later on because felt like they checked that box already. But, you know, to go back to what we're talking about with day three, um, this is your time to take shots at the dartboard draft the player who you think is the best available um, and just go from there. You don't necessarily have to, you know, just because you drafted one guy in the fourth round uh, doesn't mean that need is completely off the table because again, looking back at the odds of it, you know, most likely that guy is not going to fill that need. So why not take another player if you like him as the best player available at that point? So um, I do like the fact that they just went full throttle towards, you know, getting Robert Sala and Jeff Olberg players, guys who really, um, fit these needs and you know again most likely all these guys aren't going to pan out especially because a lot of them clash with one another like Sherwood um, and Nazarel Dean but you know take your shots take as many chances as you can um, get as many shots as you possibly can and that's what I think they're doing here but with Nazarel Dean he had a really good 2019 season um, his coverage was great that year um, 68.9 passer rating only one touchdown two picks allowed obviously he had the ACL injury that limited him to two games uh, in 2020. But just the fact that he came back and played, I think, really speaks to that Joe Douglas, Robert Sala character thing. Um, Guys opted out of the season, weren't playing this year, and then he suffers an ACL injury. Would be very easy for him to just go off of that good tape, you know, sit the season out. But he comes back and he plays a couple games to finish the 2020 season. So I think that's a pretty high character thing. Um, But another guy who plays a lot of different roles Um, compared to Sherwood. He played more safety. Uh, He mostly played free safety over 40% of the time and then strong safety um, about 20% of the time. Uh, So he was more of a a safety than Sherwood was, uh, but he did play his share of linebacker slot corner as well. Another very versatile player. So um, with both Dean and Sherwood, I'm very excited to see how these guys compete in training camp in the preseason and, who wins this role? I really feel like one of these two guys is going to be your starting wheel linebacker in week one. So uh, that competition is going to be a lot of fun to watch to uh, two very versatile, unique players.
0: Yeah, I, 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 agree with everything you just said there. I'm, I, he was probably the, I, I tweeted it out because the way people judge day three picks is um if they know him or not, if they've heard their name. And I tweeted that out you know, as a joke, you know, give me one more player I've heard of. Uh, and Hamza Nazisman is that once they announced it, I was like, okay, great. Hey, we got that one player that I've heard of. Joe Douglas can go ahead and take all the no-name players that he wants. Um, I really like him. I really love his value. Everything you just mentioned. Um, I think his production is outstanding. He's a guy that, you know, does force turnovers as well. He has some impressive ability after he gets the ball too. Uh, I tweeted out one video of him just breaking like five ankles and all the way to for like a 70 yard touchdown. So just an exciting player um, and, and really excited that, that he made the team and, and that, or he hasn't made the team yet, but that he's at least drafted to the team. And um, I'm excited to watch how him and Sherwood uh, develop uh, in this Robert solid defense that they try to have Mad Wade or what they do with their size. Um, because even in San Francisco, even though he, he prioritized pass coverage linebackers, he didn't really have many of these safety linebackers. Um, the kind of the new age, um, Shaq Thompson type of linebackers. I guess he's kind of the first one that comes to mind, but then Keanu Neal came around and hell Jamal Adams at this point is, is a well linebacker. Um, so I, I we haven't really seen Robert's all his defense with these type of players. So I'm just kind of curious how they, how they manage. Yeah. Them. This isn't really the Niners defense, but it, it's, no, it's taking the
1: same ideas but and it's, just sort remember, of playing it's, in a different way.
0: It's Jeff Olbrook's the defensive coordinator who coached Keanu Neal. So it's Robert Sala's defense. It's more similar Jeff to Olbert that. The, Fal- of
1: the Falcons do a lot more or did a lot more of that stuff last year in terms yeah, of the, the linebackers safety interchangeability.
0: I think it's Robert Sala is obviously going to have a hand in it, but he's the head coach. It's This is Jeff Ulbricht's defense. So I should probably stop saying Rob Sala's guys. I think he has a, a system and Jeff Ulbricht's going to run it, but they run it a little differently. I think Jeff Ulbricht's going to put his spin on it. Um, and so I, I think he likes the, the safety of linebackers um gives him more flexibility and versatility. I am a fan of this pick. With Joe Douglas's second to last pick, this was a this was a bit of a, a surprise to me, Brandon Eccles, corner from Kentucky. Now, everything I've seen, I like him. I like his measurables. I like how fast he is. Um but a bit undersized for a, a, a Jeff Olbrick corner. Um but uh, you know, at least he uh, I haven't really honestly, I don't really know much about him, frankly, to be completely honest. I I I I, I like that. His, I like his measurables is what I would say. He's only 5'10", though. That would be my biggest concern. What I have read about him is he's not you know necessarily the most physical guy. He's not necessarily a, a, an amazing tackler or anything. So clearly not necessarily in the mold of a, of a Robert Sala defense. I think this is a pick that's an example of drafting talent over scheme fit. I think this is a guy that fell on their board that they had probably a really high grade on. And although he's not necessarily the, the prototypical six-foot-two Robert Sala corner, Jeff Olbert corner, I'm going to get it, I promise. They like this guy a lot. And hell, who knows? Maybe they see him more as a nickel guy. And so then maybe they have Eccles and Carter the second. And maybe Gidry gets the bump. Who knows? Michael, what are your thoughts on Eccles and what do you know about him?
1: Yeah, so it, it looks like that he's mostly uh, well he played outside at Kentucky, but looking at his frame definitely seems like he's gotta be a slot guy in the NFL because he's really lacking on the on the length and the wingspan and the size. 5'10", 179. His arm length is at the 12th percentile, 30 inches, so he's not going to be able to play outside, doesn't seem like. Um, but his production is really interesting in college. He transferred from junior college, played two seasons at Kentucky. First season was really good. 11, uh, nine passes defended, 70.5 passes allowed. That's great. And actually, his yards per target was great, too. 236 yards on 57 targets. That's 4.1 per target, which is outstanding. But this season, 2020, took a pretty big step back. 104.3 passer rating on yards per target, 8.1. So it was interesting to see him take a step back. Those prospects are always interesting because it seems like, you know, you've seen top-tier talent from them, but their stock drops based on what they did recently. So those guys can be potential steals whenever you get someone like that who's coming who who's coming off of a season that was not their best. Um, so that's interesting for him. But it seems like he's a slot guy. And, you know, just goes to what I, what I was saying earlier, a lot of these guys clash with one another. So I really do think that you have a few examples here of where they take, they're taking two, two shots at the same thing with Nazro Dean um, and uh, Sherwood in terms of that will linebacker safety hybrid sort of role. Uh, and then sock corner with Davis, the uh, second and Eccles. And I think doing that, you increase your odds of hitting on one of those spots and you just build the pipeline and you increase the competition. So I do like that here. Uh, that sort of, I think that's an, a good day three philosophy to take guys at similar positions that are big right. positions of need, because these are all big positions of need linebacker. They two good linebackers on the, or two competent, at least competent linebackers on the roster with Mosley, who is good and Davis, who was NFL caliber, I like, I like
0: it, you didn't want to call Jared I know, Davis I know. a good linebacker. I, I, I'm, I'm sorry, of... Davis.
1: I'm sorry. You, you got to earn it. But, you know, uh, you two competent linebackers. Then on the outside, Bryce Hall's a good prospect. Other than that, no one else can be considered good. And then in the slot, you have an undrafted free agent who started three games in Guidry. So these are huge positions of need. And they double dipped at them. And I kind of like that. There's going to be competition. Yeah, I... And they all have the versatility to where if they don't succeed in one spot, they could be tried out somewhere
0: else. And I think that's right. another positive aspect. Exactly. I was just about to mention that is they all have versatility. Michael Carter the second is also has a lot of experience at safety. He played all over the place. So yeah, I mean if if they're in the great situation that Eccles turns out to be a great nickel corner and and Carter you like his promise, you could play him a lot more at safety. And then also these guys are going to bring stuff on special teams. So with the last pick, I'm going to be honest. I love this pick uh, it, Jonathan Marshall defensive tackle. Like I know it, it, we're sick of drafting defensive tackles and it probably wasn't the biggest need, but the jets essentially just took a guy with Aaron Donald's athletic profile and none of the skill is or production. That, that's essentially how I would describe this pick. Um, you're just banking on, on your coaching staff to develop him. When John Franklin Myers was on our, our podcast, he, he talked about the, the culture of, of the Jets defensive line room, at least last year, but you'd imagine that would carry over that in some places there are guys who maybe they have a pass rush move um, that they don't want to share because at the end of the day, you're kind of all competing for the same job. And it's like, I'm putting food on my table um, with this. And I don't want to give you a pass rush move that you can use. And now you succeed with it, whatever. John Franklin Myers said, no, everybody in this in this uh, defensive line group is really collaborative, is always trying to help each other out, trying to get better because he's like, we can all eat. There's enough sacks for all of us. Um, so I like that he's entering a really good uh, – culture especially he's going to be behind quinn and williams who's really blossomed into one of the premier um interior defensive linemen in this league he has sheldon rankins to learn from he has jonathan particular myers i mean i really like the situation he's in and i like the coaching staff that he's going to be learning from so he's exactly the type of guy i'm taking at the end of day three go get me the best athlete and let's just see what my coaching staff can do um and you know it's not like his production was absolute garbage um you know he just wasn't like he had many sacks or anything like that, but his athletic profile and his athleticism is pretty much off the charts. Um So I like this pick.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm okay with it. This is the 207th pick in the draft. I'm not going to complain about position here. Um, and this is where I think, you know, positional value later in the draft sort of kind of tapers off a little bit, like in the third, second round. Yeah. Taking a defensive tackle would be a problem to me, unless you got a massive steal but at this point in the draft, it doesn't really matter. And even when you do put on the long-term glasses, there is a vision for defensive tackle being a need. You look at the depth chart, and you know typically teams can carry about six interior defensive linemen, sometimes seven. And you look at this depth chart, and there's a path for there to be a, someone who can win that sixth job. You have your four locks, Quinnen, Fadakasi, Franklin Myers, if you want to consider him an interior lineman, um, and Sheldon Rankin's. Then beyond that, Shepard, probably a near lock. But then after Shepard, you have Tanzel Smart. And that's Shepard. it. Um, so, you know, there's there's a path for him to compete with Tanzel Smart and Nathan Shepard right. for that sixth spot, maybe even only fifth if you don't consider Franco Myers a part of that group. So there's a path for him to make the roster. And again, like you said, at this point, just bet on athleticism and his relative athletic score is the second best ever for a defensive tackle. Oops. Um, Have right. a thousand three hundred nine guys since nineteen eighty seven. He ran a four eighty eight at three hundred ten pounds. His uh, twenty yard split, ten yard split, vertical, broad, his bench, all that stuff was way up there, elite. Um, so amazing, amazing athletic profile. And this is a good point of the draft to take a chance on that, even if it's a position of strength, like we've been talking about. You never know who's going to get hurt, who's going to decline. Um, Sheldon Rankins, even though he's here, you don't know how long, you know, if he's going to be here beyond this season, Franklin Myers, contract situation is a question mark. Um, you know, you don't know how that's going to play out. So at this point, 207th overall pick, take a a chance on a guy who has ridiculous athleticism. Go for it. In terms of the production, I know he has, I think one and a half career sacks, which is obviously very ugly, but he was actually, he wasn't, he wasn't that bad. He was seventh in pressures in the nation among interior D linemen. In 2020, with 29 of those and at 20 run stops, that was twelve. So he was actually really good. And this uh, and keep that athleticism is the biggest thing.
0: And keep in mind, going back to that that long term need thing we were talking about, both Foley Fodakasi and Nathan Shepard are free agents after this year. Yep. So this is a guy that you're. I don't expect to see him on the field this year. Maybe he makes a few plays in pre season in training camp. But this is this is a redshirt year for him. This is drafting an athlete and letting him learn the NFL ropes this year and hoping that he develops some skill and some technique that he can compete next year. Best case scenario you can try to get him on the field this year that he shows something. But th- the expectation should be a complete redshirt year for this guy. Um but yeah I mean fully fought is going to be a free agent. I think that he's a little bit of a different player. He's more of a one tech run stopping traditional three four nose tackle that'll play in this four three scheme. Shepard is probably the one that he he will replace unless Shepard completely balls out because Shepard next year I think will already be 26 or 27 so he's already on the old side um, and Marshall's not a spring chicken himself he's 23 right now he'll be 24 at the start of the season so kind of similar to Shepard in that aspect but um, I think it's again it's a long term need for the Jets defensive tackle is not a need right now but you go ahead and take the best athlete and look you got two defensive tackles who are in free agency next year so there is kind of a need and you can throw in Sheldon Rankins in that bunch too so. Um, I like, Shepper's I like it's already going to be 28
1: this season.
0: That he's 28th. Wow.
1: A guy in his rookie That's a contract
0: pick. 28, That's a bad pick. Oh my gosh. That I is cannot crazy. believe it it's one thing to take an older defensive tackle. If he's super productive and he plays for like Alabama or something, but it's like, you already know that the level of competition he's playing, there's going to be a period of adjustment. So you already know you're losing about a year and two a year or two of him. Cause he's not going to come in and light the league up. 2018, he did nothing. I thought his 2019 season he was actually fairly solid. Yeah, he flashed a little yeah, bit. Yeah, he did and last flash year. We, the didn't end. Really, we didn't really see much of him last year, but um, yeah. Wow, that he's
1: older cool. than Alan Robinson. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Let's just say it's 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 a change of uh, a guard um, for the Jets management. I, I mean, a complete change in drafting strategy. If this was Mike McCagnon, I don't. I shudder to think of what the draft would have looked like. Um, but it probably would have been exactly flipped, except none of the athleticism. But it just would have been QB and then all defense, um, and then maybe some athletic.
1: Yeah, let's little, actually let's actually guys. map it out of, of how Mike McAdams would do this. And also, okay. correction: Nathan Shepard, a couple months younger than Alan Robinson, so he is okay. A very he's a spring chicken himself. But still but, 28, though, right? Still 28 in October, which is not ideal. But let's talk. Let's try and map out a Mike McAdams draft here. So I think what you'd probably have. Is I think he goes Justin Fields. You think he takes Justin Fields? I think
0: I mean I'm not gonna speculate. I don't know. I don't know. I, I think, think he uh, takes, uh Christian Barmore. I think he takes Mac Jones. <laughs> I think he takes Mac Jones and then uh at 23, yeah, Christian Barmore and then 34. Um you know, I was gonna just keep going defensive tackles, but I literally haven't looked at any of them <laughs> this draft. Um I don't know, just non premium positions. Is probably what I would say. He probably take Jeremiah
1: Usukormoa at thirty
0: four. Yeah, I was gonna say
1: that. Maybe Owusu-Koromo
0: at thirty four. Yeah, you know, which by the Darren way, Lee. which um, by the way, exactly. Dar- I mean, Darren Lee was such a bad pick too because it was like you're drafting a four three will to be a three four inside linebacker, which can work if the guy isn't critically undersized. I mean, it made no sense to have Darren Lee try to fit inside. I mean,
1: I, yeah, I, in I, hindsight, I, wow, that was that was an awful. Decision. It's such
0: a bad pick, such a bad because like one questionable. Pick regardless, but the the scheme fit made no sense. I mean, that's what's refreshing about Joe Douglas is he's not he's drafting with a plan in mind. He's drafting to get um, players to fit a system. It makes sense why Mike Mcagnin was sitting by himself in the war room <laughs> in 2019 because everybody had enough of his shit and they were just like, "What are we even doing here?" And they all left. um So it's refreshing. Um, and ever I gotta say, every single phone call that Joe Douglas and Robert Sala do gets me hyped up because one. It seems like Joe Douglas is constantly getting the guy he wants. And then Robert solid just has me ready to run through a brick wall. I'm really excited to watch this team. As I, I tweeted this out earlier, I think this team is going to surprise a lot of people next year. I think that I'm fuck it. I'll say, it. I think they're going to be good. I mean, I'm not saying they're going to be a playoff team, but I think they're going to upset some teams. I think they'll have some good moments. You know, I think like the Panthers this past year, weren't a good team because they lost a lot of games, but remember how they, they hung with a lot of good teams. I think they can be that. I think, that Zach Wilson kind of puts them over the top that I do think they will get around 500. Cause I really believe in Robert Sala. And I think this is a really good draft that this offense is actually going to score some damn points this year. Um, so I think that they're going to take a, a big leap this year and be a, a respectable team. And then next year when you have two firsts, two seconds, two, th- or they only have one third, I think they have two fourths, fours, two fifths and two six, the third most cap space and all these young guys developing. That's when you're going to see the jets take the big jump and like, okay, now we can compete. Um, to win some real meaningful games here. Um, So it's, I'm I'm, yeah. They're really well positioned. Really. It's been a long time since, since the, yeah, it's been a long time since the jets have been any sort of position like this, where I know he sort of
1: felt like like this with Sam Darnold, like, but that was really in high. I mean, it is hindsight, but it was just sort of, okay. We franchise quarterback. He's in year two. That was year three. But where was everything else? Where was the offensive line? Where was the receivers? Where was the pass rush? Where are the blue chip defensive players? None of that was there. Where's the coach? There was none of that. But now it seems like <laughs> or the, the GM. pieces are the or the GM. It was like okay, we got a franchise quarterback. That's it. But now they the, the have situation everything he else walked in into
0: isn't the situation he walked into isn't even comparable to the situation Zach Wilson's gonna be walking into. I am so excited to watch Elijah Moore come in motion across uh, across the screen and go up field. Uh, and Zach Wilson hit him for a 40 yard touchdown or, or, you know, a little flip um, to, uh, to Corey or Chris Herndon on the goal line and a touch. I don't fucking know just anything. I mean, this offense just has so much potential. Uh, I, I'm excited to watch John Benton cloche up this offensive line too, because they brought everybody out back from last year. Um, and you, you we've seen plenty of times before where you mentioned the Rams a few years ago under McVay, where they had the exact same unit. They were pretty bad. This scheme came in, that's all it changed was the coaching staff, and they immediately became one of the better offensive lines. So I think you're going to see Connor McGovern and George Fan improve. Maybe we'll get something out of Greg Van Roden, but I believe in uh, uh, Elijah Vera Tucker, and I think Mackay Becton can take that step. I mean, look, there's a lot of variables. Can, can Becton stay healthy? Is, who the hell is Chris Herndon? Is Zach Wilson going to be able to come in day one and be a solid quarterback? We're very high on him, but in our podcast two weeks ago, there was mention that like, look, he may struggle a little bit. He may have more of a Josh Allen trajectory where it's like, he's just very up and down as rookie year. I tend to think he's actually going to be fairly okay as rookie year, just based off of um, what he's done in college. And there's not, the thing I love that Robert Sala said is like, we've seen literally every single throw we're going to ask him to make on tape. I mean, he's running a very similar system. Um, And I think the Jets are doing a good job of surrounding with talent. So it's like, I don't want this to be a giant puff podcast of us just, you know, bowing down to Joe Douglas, but, I can't hide how I actually feel. I'm, I'm really optimistic. I mean, at the end of the day, I'm a fan, but I really feel good about the direction the Jets are heading in. This is the first time in a long time where it's like, there's no, you know, last year it was like, I feel kind of good about the direction Joe Douglas has us in, but it's like, oh, we have Adam Gase as our head coach. And a few years before that, it's like, do I really see Mike McCagney winning us a Super Bowl? Do I really see Todd Bowles winning a Super Bowl? It's like, I can see Joe Douglas and Robert Sala winning a Super Bowl. Not this year, not next year. But after that, I mean, like I think the Jets can compete. I'm I'm really excited about the direction they're going in. And look, all these guys have to hit the field. They could all suck and they could all be terrible. We don't know. But just based off the philosophy that Joe Douglas has implemented and a lot of the moves he's made and his his he just we have a competent adult running things. Um, so it's really exciting. I think I kind of want to end here, but I do want to touch really quickly. Um, the Jets did bring in, we're recording this at what is it, 753. On a Saturday, so they haven't really brought in many undrafted free agents, but they did get a big one, Michael. I don't know if you've read about it, so you would yeah. be excited, Kenny Yeboah, yep. tight end from Ole Miss, who we kind of wanted them to draft. I, I mean, he was drafted to the Jets in a lot of different mocks. I think he's a great fit in this offense. Definitely a receiving tight end. Um, I think he has a really good chance to make the roster, so I'm really excited about him. Not much, not going to bring you much as a blocker, but a great receiver. You want to talk about Kenny Yeboah. and then the other thing is, Jorge Borregales is still out there. Jets still need a kicker. So I, I guess talk about Yaboa, and then are there any undrafted free agents you're, you're looking at?
1: Yeah, I do like this one. I was hoping to see him be one of those final few picks. But um, a yak tight end, I think, is really interesting in this offense. We saw what George Kittle did or has been doing, is doing in San Francisco. Um, the 49ers really emphasized him in that offense. And Kenny Yaboa, pretty good yak guy, 244 yards after catch last season. Um, that was fifth among tight ends in the FBS overall he averaged 75 yards a game at six touchdowns in seven games he was a fifth year senior so um, pretty late in his career to break out which is always a question mark when someone does that but um, he does you know offer that receiving ability that you know I don't think Herndon is a little bit different than Herndon I think Herndon's appeal really comes from um, contested you know contested catch ability down the field I think he has some route running ability in terms of posts and corners. Um, but his short game isn't really, especially with how frequently he drops the ball on easy catches, his short game isn't really anything appealing. Um, I don't think he's much, does too much with the ball in his hands, but Yuboa can bring that to the table. So that's an interesting one. Definitely we'll be looking for him to make the roster. He should have a good chance. Um, and they also uh, signed, um, got an edge rusher, Hamilcar Rashad from Oh from Oregon, from State. Oregon State um yeah sco
0: beaves i actually i like him a lot yeah no that's an interesting
1: one he had like a really bad down season in 2020 but in 2019
0: he showed a lot so no that's a swing definitely yeah i i I watched him a lot in 2019 uh because i did grow up a little bit of an oregon state fan no i I like that a lot i mean I kind of saw him a little bit more as like a three-four edge rusher guy, but at least uh, I just like the talent that he's going to bring in. I I think he should have been drafted for sure. And then I did mention Jorge Borregales, but while we were talking about him, he got um, signed to the to the Bucks, so we'll see. I guess we're going to have the worst Riley Patterson. Patterson, Get ready for Sam Ficken. Like how? But well, but remember, all these teams have two or three kickers, so by the time you get through preseason, it's like some of those guys are going to get cut. You never know. Yeah, that's literally the guy I was just thinking of. I do want to mention just about Yaboa. PFF tweeted out or PFF underscore college tweeted out the yak leaders by position for running back was Travis Etienne. for receiver. It was Elijah Moore with 446 and for tight end, it was Kenny Yaboa with 237. So obviously Ole Miss ran a lot of um, yards after catch friendly um, concepts, but I like I, what you said. I like what Yaboa brings to this offense um, because yeah, I think he can do a lot of those things. That could. I think you're right. I think Herndon, we haven't really seen him too much after the catch. We've kind of seen more of his, as a athletic possession guy. Yaboa might give the Jets a little bit more option to, to throw it to him underneath and let him, you know, make a few guys miss. So overall, I'm I'm pretty happy. I think this is about as as best as this could have gone. At least from our projections, we'll see how they do when they hit the field. I mean, draft grades mean absolutely nothing at this point. All of these guys could suck from Zach Wilson, um, all the way to to Marshall, but. I like at least the philosophy. I at least I like the process and I like the philosophy. And so for that, I give this draft an A minus. I mean, I want to give it an A, but you know, it's day three picks were. I like it. I like the strategy. There were some guys that I kind of wish they'd take a swing on. I like Trey Smith, but um, but clearly there were some reasons not to, and they had Cam Clark, etc. But just from a philosophy standpoint it means absolutely nothing. These grades mean zilch. Um, but I really like uh, the direction Joe Douglas has us heading in and, look i mean we'll we'll know a lot more about this team they hit the i guess they don't have the uh normally they'd have like the rookie otas and stuff but i guess with covid they probably don't right yeah it seems so, like they might not be doing that uh, we'll see okay though. so they'll probably do some virtual stuff but okay we won't see him on field until like july but um damn it's gonna be a long time i just want to see zach wilson in that number one. do you think he's gonna choose number one there was a big firestorm when his mom posted a photo. I think of his, he's going to uh, be number one. I don't think that was necessarily
1: supposed to be his Jersey. Um, I, I, cause I feel like he would have told us if he picked his number, I don't think it's necessarily something he has to be you know, coy yeah. about and sound like top secret information. So I, I do think he'll end up going with number one. Personally, I do prefer that. I
0: know you're a number two guy. No, no, no. I like no. chill. I like, yeah, no, I think the number one looked better on him. I just, it, a lot of slander for number two. It's like, Hey, I won a lot of Super Bowls and Madden in Madden wearing that number as quarterback of the Jets, so let's not slander it too much. Um, I, again, these grades mean nothing, but Michael, how would you grade Joe Douglas' second draft as general manager of the GM? Or Jesus. so General manager of the, uh, of the New York Jets. It's been a long day, long three days. <laughs> I,
1: I, a minus is what's coming to mind for me, but when I think about it, I'm just copycat. trying to wonder why I wouldn't go with a solid A. Um, because I just looking at it from a philosophy standpoint, like you said, I think that was on point with emphasizing the quarterback support first and foremost, and doing it in a way that made sense with value. Um, Bear Tucker is a guy that was worth trading up for, and it made sense to do it because they were not going to get a guard or an offensive lineman that made sense at the spot they were. And that would have been a huge issue after not fixing it in free agency. So love that Elijah Moore, great value not the direction I would have gone uh, just not, I like it now, but like in that moment, that definitely was not what I was looking towards. I would have gone with Tevin Jenkins or Wusu Koromoa, but makes a lot of sense. Um, and then Michael Carter pick I liked. Uh, so emphasizing helping the quarterback and then with the defensive run, lots of versatility, lots of athletic upside and they were all at positions of need and they can all compete against each other and make each other better. Um, so I, 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 I'm i just going to go with a minus that that's yeah, I think I think we just don't
0: want to say a because we're I just don't like want to say numbers. a because it
1: seems like oh it's perfect draft
0: yeah um because like you know frankly like I said like Elijah Moore wasn't the pick that I would in made. retrospect I think that's dumb because if he's the highest player on your board and he's a receiver taken like but that that's just what's hard about grading because like for me it's like that but, but he was you know, very he was, clearly
1: he was very I, I know he cut
0: the top guy on their board so like he, that's for,
1: a, for them like it's an obvious pick you know that's their opinion but like for me and i think there are very few jets fans who are talking about wanting elijah moore at that pick very few so you know it it is just try not to be completely hindsight well that's because we all fall into
0: the right because because we're all all falling to
1: the shopping list thing like we're not yeah you know exactly we weren't thinking then, about wide receiver don't you
0: think about don't you now think about the possibilities of the way you can use them like debo sam I, I am excited about now i'm definitely 100 excited about now i'm yeah. just
1: saying from like a
0: great i have standpoint. i have a player i can watch just bombs productions highlights for, for the <laughs> next five months because i can't really watch Elijah. do, do the just bombs intro oh uh, what is it again um it's like this is for all the cats since day one what is you're it you're pretending again? not to know it to try and make i know do i don't I, I looked at it right before because i thought uh whatever everybody's on what talking about just bombs production scouting community where you at I, that was that was pretty much all i was doing today on some of the guys that i just didn't ever hear of like michael carter the second i hadn't heard of before immediately youtube search watch like two minutes i'm like all right next i'm sold
1: <laughs> i'm sold that's the Hall best famous. way of scouting. Just two minutes of literally the five best plays of the thousands well, on, of plays he's actual had players, in his life. Like
0: Zach Wilson, like I actually go and I went and watched all of his throws because of, yeah, I do not want to be a hypocrite. Um, you know, Elijah Ver Tucker, I've watched a few of his full games that are out there on YouTube and through some other sources. Um, but yeah. All right, let's get out of here. I, I, you don't like okay, the a, wind down, but I feel a minus
1: like... a minus is what I'm
0: going with. I'll go a minus too, but yeah, I, very easily could be an A. I think we're just scared to say A because we don't want to sound too homerish. But um, yeah, very, very. What very are these
1: grades even philosophy. based on right now? But- it's based on it's based off one the value that you got to the philosophy. But we don't know the boy. value until they play. No, no,
0: no, no, no. The the value just in terms of the draft board. Like I guess it's yeah, like you,
1: personal opinion because it just depends right, on how you okay, view okay, the but, players.
0: Okay, but the Raiders taking Alex Leatherwood at what do they take seventeen? Bad value, but he could still turn out to be a good player. So somebody might but it's grade a bad that a value C. to
1: most people, but to the Raiders from their evaluation, they thought he was yeah, good enough. But for that that's pick. the
0: point of the draft grades: is that everybody gives their thoughts, then you come to with an objective, maybe not an objective, but at least a, a, a consensus of the type of value that they got. Most people agree that Alex Leatherwood shouldn't have been drafted at 17, but then, you know, you flip their first and second round picks. They look like good value. So I, I, I get what you're saying, right? These are completely meaningless. That was, that's the whole preamble before I asked you was about, but you can kind of, you can grade it off of value and um, projection and, and philosophy that they employ. The big reason I would give it an A is just the philosophy of the, wow, they got yeah. their young quarterback who I really like, and they went out and surrounded him with a lot of talent. And I think the two players, the three players that they surrounded him with, I really like all three of them. Like, I really like uh, Elijah Ver Tucker. I think he's the best interior offensive lineman in this draft. I really like Michael Carter, and I really like Elijah Moore the more I've looked into him. So it's like, yeah, I have to give it an A-. The rest of the guys, I'm not going to really, outside of Nasruddin, I hadn't really heard of, so I can't really grade that accurately. But when you look at the projection of like, okay, are they going to play them? At, will weak linebacker, we had the need there. There's, You know, you can grade it. So I'll say A-, minus because I don't want to be too much of a homer. But I think this was a, a on the outset, well, we'll see him on the field. A home run draft class by Joe Douglas. Um, All right, I guess that's it for us, Michael. You don't like the wind down. You you criticized me yesterday, but I feel like I I I do
1: like the wind down. I just don't like that you have to remind people how they can listen to the to the podcast when they're already listening to it. It's like if I ask directions to my own house while I'm in it.
0: You know, I never really thought about. I used to say at the beginning, which was in retrospect idiotic, because I would burn like a minute. Most people just click listen for a few minutes and leave. Not most, but a lot. Of, a lot of people do. So, like, I would spend the first minute telling them where they could listen to the podcast. I guess you're right. Okay, maybe I won't tell them. Well, okay, you could be listening to it on iTunes, and then I say you can listen to it on Spotify, and then your whole life changes. Now you can <laughs> listen to the podcast on Spotify. So, I guess that makes Make sense. Make sure you like, I mean, comment, and subscribe. I guess I should say that. I guess you're right because that matters a little bit more. Yeah, pl- please, if you've enjoyed any of this content. Give us a, a rating on iTunes because there, there's some mean ones on there. I mean, most of them are nice, and then every once in a while I'll check it and be like, damn, that hurts. But, um, so yeah, go ahead and write us a, an iTunes review if you don't mind. But, um, if not, I don't care. It's not too big of a deal. My, my life doesn't change. But, um, you can follow us at CYJ Pod on Twitter, myself, Ben W. Blessington, Michael, Michael, and, and then I won't say anything else. So I guess that's it. I mean, Jets X Factor. They might not know about Jets X Factor, so I have to throw that in there. Yeah, it's nobody's cool, listening it, at this It's point a cool anyways. website. No, nobody, I mean, Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you write for it sometimes. All right, everybody, we're done. I I normally close it. Don't let the Jets ruin your life, but I'm feeling pretty damn good, and I think most Jets fans feel pretty damn good. So enjoy this moment until the Jets inevitably ruin your life. Car has to work quickly. Down to six seconds.
1: Car going down again, and it's Quentin Williams this time for the Jets. A touchdown most likely looks right fires a bomb down the right sideline again for Mims. What
0: a catch by Denzel Mims